Uh, tonight is Wednesday, March 18th, 2015. Um, we're going to have a message tonight in call, entitled, What Are You Doing? What are you doing? <clears throat> we're going to start off in Nehemiah. We're actually going to walk through a couple of chapters here in Nehemiah, and then... Uh, And then we'll see what God has to say to us. So Nehemiah in this story is about in the year 445 B.C. Approximately the year 445 B.C. So since this is basically a home crowd tonight, for those of you I actually want some crowd participation. (laughs) I freaked out there for a second and thought I had the wrong marker. So I was like, does it come off? Yes, it comes off. Okay. So we're going to do a timeline real quick, and as a church, we've been talking about this. If you've been showing up on Monday nights, if you've gotten with Pastor Eric, then you should be able to help me. Uh, About 4,000 B.C. was who? Yes, Adam. Garden, yes. Okay, I'm going to squish this next part because we have a lot more to write in the second half of this than I do in the first, so this is not to scale. So we've got a timeline with 4,000 at about 2,000. We have Abraham. Yes? About 400 years before that was what? The flood. Yeah, you're going to have to speak up. I'm not trying to not take your answer. I just, you know, speak up. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So Noah, or the flood, was about 2,400, about 400 years this way, and about 1,600 was who? Exodus, yes, or Moses. Right? Everybody with me so far? Okay, so after that we have at about a thousand, we have David. Reason that we've been working on the timeline as a church is why? Because if you know this timeline and a few other little details from what you're reading, you can really drop the whole Old Testament story within these timelines, right? Okay? So after David, what is the next one that we normally do? We'll go at about. I'll, I'll call it. I'll call it seven hundred. Assyrian captivity. Okay, the Assyrian captivity. So, who was uh, captured in the Assyrian captivity? The northern tribes, right? Northern. Yes, everybody keeping up with me? Yes. Okay. So, at about. Eh, I'll put it at 600, right? The Babylonian captivity. Who was that? Southern tribes, yeah. Really more like 586 to 700. You can argue that it's a little bit more that way, but just giving you just rough, rough dates. Okay, so uh, 300 was what? Yeah, right? Alexander the Great. Just from world history, right? So after, this is now an intertestament period, right? So uh, at about 175, what was that? The Hasmonean dynasty, the Maccabeans, all that good stuff. Uh, sorry, well, yeah, I'm going to put 150. Sorry, I'm trying to do it in halves here. And then 75 was who? The Romans. And then, okay, we have the cross. Yes? Okay. This is really basically Genesis, what is this, 1 through 9? Somewhere up in there? Right? (laughs) Get get a whole lot of time going on up to the flood right after that. We've been studying all this. Um, So when we talk about Nehemiah... And this book is written at about, or the story begins right about 445. Okay, 445 B.C., somewhere roughly in there. Okay? So you can see this was well after the Babylonian captivity, about 140 years, 150 years, whatever, after the Babylonian captivity. And you, kinda, you can kind of get a, a perspective on it. Chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, 
Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. So the exile that he's talking about will have to do with the most recent one would be about the Babylonian captivity. Right? How, how's things going? I haven't been over there in a while. I'm in Susa, which is due west of Jerusalem, basically, about 800 to 900 miles. Okay, so just to give you a perspective, <laughs> however far it is across the state of Texas, something like you're talking about a, a pretty good distance there, okay? Um, verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And the next few verses kind of share his prayer. Okay, so he hears news of his brothers and he is moved to tears. He's literally um, deeply troubled in his spirit. Okay, skip to chapter 2, verse 1. I know you guys know all this. We're just kind of laying some groundwork here. Chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan. Um, so, chapter 1, verse 1, in the month of Kislev. Chapter 2, verse 1, we're in the month of Nisan. Okay, so we've gone about four months. Sometimes we forget that when we read stories in the Bible, and just because we can read them in about a minute and a half, I, well, maybe we don't, I forget the factor of time that's in there. Sometimes between the end of one chapter and another, you've got 20 years. Sometimes you've got a lot of different things going on. Uh, can I, just, I just want to encourage you guys that what God is doing in your life, what God is doing in this church, sometimes it feels like, oh my gosh, well, it should be quicker along. Hey, man, there were four months in between here. He's praying. He's fasting. You get one prayer that he does, but I can assure you that there were other prayers. If you were moved that deeply, it's not going to be a prayer. Woo, burden's lifted. See you. Right, so there's a span of time here. I was talking to um, Pastor Matt earlier today, and we were <laughs> started getting on an, an uh, analogies about kind of what we feel like the church is, is going on, what I felt, and we were sharing it, and uh, it's kind of like a rocket ship, right? So I, I really do think, and I really think that right now this moment is kind of like a rocket ship. There's some rumbling. There's a lot of energy going out. And it may, at the beginning of this thing, at the beginning of this new season, there's a whole lot of effort and not a whole lot of motion, right? There's a whole lot of power. Oh, it's rumbling. And if you're sitting in a cockpit, you're rumbling along right with it, right? People are like, I'm unsure. I'm not sure what's going on. What? Ah. Strap it down. It's all right. Let's just pull it tight. It's all right, because here in a while, <laughs> things get going pretty quickly. And you're like, whoa, whoa, get the face stretch, right? Ah, this is going so fast. Hey, so just calm down and enjoy the ride. I really think that God has some incredible things. I think that what God has laid, my, laid on my heart about the them is important. Thank you. I know some of you guys are going out in your neighborhoods and you're talking and you're looking for the them. Our work day, we're going to talk about this more on, on Saturday. The work day is really about them. It's like a spring cleaning, yes, but it's more, in my heart, it's more about the them. We just want to get ready. You're like, we're not going very fast, dude. I don't know what we need to get ready for. No, we need to get ready. Reason we had a kid's training? We're just getting ready. Reason we're going to have a work day? We're just getting ready. We're going to dig some ditches. We're going to go find some containers so we can get ready for some oil. That's just what we're going to do. Amen. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so four months later, the next verse gives you four months. When wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Well, of course you haven't because you're not supposed to be. You're serving the king. It's supposed to be a joyous thing. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? Um, sometimes we think we're much better at hiding things than we really are. Right? No one will know. I haven't said anything. Seriously? Seriously. Why, why is your face so downcast? Right? Why are you wearing it? 
because what we are on the inside is going to come out at some point. Why are you wearing it like that? I, I, have, I, have, I haven't done it yet. I don't think to anybody in here this day will come, so I'm just preparing you. Or I'll go, hey, how you doing? And they'll go, oh, I'm good. I'm like, look, you don't have to tell me, but don't lie to me either. Like, I, I understand we may not be in a venue where you can share any of that. You may not feel like telling me. That's fine. Just let's be honest about, <laughs> there's a huge weight on top of your head. What's going on? I'm fine. Okay. All right. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, says Nehemiah, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? So he just, I love it. He was afraid, and these are the next words that came out of his mouth. Okay? If you're afraid to do something, it's okay. Just make sure you respond this way. (laughs) He was afraid, and yet he still spoke with boldness. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? That is one of my favorite questions in all the scripture. In Mark chapter 10, at the end of Mark chapter 10, it's blind Bartimaeus that, that gets that question thrown at him, right? I think I even shared this when we were in Mexico. I remember the Lord laid that passage on my heart. Mark chapter 10. He's going around. He's beggar. All the people are trying to shush him. Jesus says, hey, bring him over. Cheer up. The, the master wants to see you. The first interaction he has with Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, what is it that you want? What a weird question. You're Jesus, man. Don't you know? Can't you do something? Huh, what do you want? Ask, the king asked Nehemiah the same thing. What is it that you want? Um, <laughs> I'm one of those people that has taken me a long time, and this is going to sound weird. Some of you who are not wired this way, it's going to sound like the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm wired to want to be so amenable to things that my wife has fussed at me for years about, you actually don't know what you really want. Like if somebody asks me, what do you want? I can, I can rehearse things, but like, what do you like? Uh, anything. It's all good. Where do you want to go eat? I don't care. My natural personality is to be like, hey, I'm flexible. I'm kind of a level, even-keeled kind of guy. I don't get super excited, but I don't ever get super depressed. I'm kind of like, Ah, it's good. My natural resting heart rate, I'm completely out of shape right now, terribly out of shape, and my natural heart rate is like less than 60, which is supposed to be you're in actual pretty good shape. If I work at it, I can get into the 40s. I really can. I could just, mm, just calm, man, on the inside, calm, just calm. Somebody's yelling at me. Placid Lake on the inside, <laughs> just, Right? My wife is helping to go, hey, you like just hobbies. You don't really have any hobbies. Well, I'm going to take care of y'all. I'm going to do this, and I'll go work and do something, and I'll, I'll achieve something. And she's like, no, no, what do you like? I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> I don't actually know. That sounds, again, if you're, if you're not wired like me, that sounds like the most ridiculous thing ever. Of course you know what you want. No, actually, I have problems with that. And when, so maybe that's the reason that when I look at a question and, and, and someone asks someone else, well, what do you want? Well, you know, it, I don't have a Christmas list usually waiting for that. I can tell you what I want right now. I, in this season of my life, all I want to be able to do is serve God's people. Like, it's really simple. I'm like, I wish it was more than that. I wish it was something more fancy. All it is is just to serve y'all. What do you want to do? Somebody asked us that today at lunch. Friends from Austin, hey, what is it that you want? I want to serve God's people with excellence. That's all. I don't want to lose any of them. I don't want anybody to slip through the cracks. Why? It's because it's where I am now. So when the king asked Nehemiah, hey, what is it that you want? I love the fact, and perhaps it was the four months. Perhaps it was the four months of lamenting what was going on that produced in him more than just lament, more than just a heaviness, more than just a, a sadness about what was happening, perhaps it helped produce this plan. Because here's what happens. Verse 4, the king says, said to me, what is it that you want? 
Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm going to guess, I'm going to infer some things here. I'm going to guess that this was not a super long prayer. He is in the presence of the king. The king says, what do you want? (laughs) Dear Lord, (laughs) in that moment, the four months of waiting helped produce him to be able to go, Lord, you got to help me. Lord, you got to be with me and give me the right words. Here we go. That's what, sometimes we don't have a long time to get things ready and prepared. So if you're in a holding pattern, if you're in the cockpit and just kind of shaking along there, may I encourage you to go ahead and prepare for the next step. Find out what it is that you really want from the Lord. Find out what it is that you can verbalize and ask the Lord for something. He is a big God. He is a good, good Father. What is it that you want from Him? Uh... Can you verbalize it? Uh, I, not somebody else's answer. Well, I want to be like Jesus. Well, good. If that's really your answer, fantastic. If it's not, then can you say, can you ask of the Lord what it is that you need? If you can't, perhaps you should go and consider that. Perhaps you should cry out in his presence and pray and fast and find out what it is that you need. Isn't that weird? Find out what it is that you need to want. <laughs> Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight. It's amazing what the favor of God will do. It opens doors, it closes doors, and does a whole lot more than you can do on your own. Amen? Let him send me to the city in Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. With clarity of thought, with directness in his words, he was able to answer the question, what is it that you want? Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me. I love those little nuggets in the scripture. Just a picture. Can you picture that? In a palace, whatever that palace is in your mind, there's a king's throne. Yeah, rumbling. And there's a queen sitting next to the king. He asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? That's an appropriate question for a king to ask someone who's serving in his palace, someone who is the cupbearer, someone who makes sure there ain't no poison in the cup. Hey, so clearly there's already a favor because of the way the question is being asked. Can I encourage you sometimes? We get freaked out by questions and you can hear a whole lot in somebody the way they're asking the question. How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. He had thought about it enough. Now, I don't know if he was correct in how much time because it doesn't say how long it took him. He was gone from the palace a long time. He rebuilt the wall in 52 days, but he was out of there for a long time. Perhaps as much as 12 years. So I don't know if he told him 12 years to start with. Verse 7, I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. For someone who was afraid, for someone who had to pray and then answer the king, he rattles off. What is it I need? Well, I need this, 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 this. In this order, please. If it please the king. Right? I don't want to miss my opportunity when the Lord comes by and says, What is it that you need? Mighty God, I know what I need because you've assigned me this task and therefore everything I'm asking is, here's, here's what I need. <laughs> he had figured out the location. How long? He figured out a time. If it pleases the king, may I have letters. He's getting the right permissions. He's getting the right releases. He's getting the right unctions to go and do what he needs to do. For the safe conduct, verse 8, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make the beams from the gate of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. I'm going to go build a house now. So besides building the wall and other things, I'm going to need some lumber. So he's saying, hey, by the way, king, uh, I've got a location. I know where I'm going. I've got this timing in my heart that, that the Lord has worked out. Um, I need some protection. I'm going to go in your name. I'm going to need some resources. 
Okay? Um, and because of the gracious hand of my God, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Amen. He had something to ask, and the king went, yes. Been talking to a few people in different times and places. Don't say no for people. Don't be intimidated to ask. You are a child of the king. Hey, I need this. They may say no. That is true. But don't say no for people. Hey, this is, move forward in that direction. Be bold in what God has given you to do. Step out. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had sent, <laughs> the king had also sent an army of officers and cavalry with me. It doesn't say that that's what he asked for directly. So it either came from the, hey, I would like to have a letter for safe conduct, for safe travel. And the king went, oh yeah, you know what? I'm going to give you what you ask and more. I'm going to give you a whole army to go with you to protect you, to go before you, to be your rear guard, to be everything that you can possibly need, and then some, because we're not sure exactly what you need, so we'll give you a little extra. In Louisiana, we call that lanyap. We'll give you a little extra. Verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Much like today, right? You read how our government is very upset that certain people in Israel re won re-election. You heard about um, a lot of the anti-Semitism going on in Europe right now. There was a German, I think I've said this before, but there was a German council on anti-Semitism that had no Jews on it. So we're going to have a committee on women's rights and have all men. You're going to have uh, on cultural diversity and only have one race of people, and that doesn't make any sense. And yet that's exactly what our world is doing, right? When they hear that there's some motion in the kingdom of at all, there's going to be people that are upset, be upset with you. That's part of the deal, folks. Don't get upset. Don't be surprised. That's just the way it is. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, by the way, it probably took him three or four months to get to Jerusalem. Eight, eight or nine hundred miles, you're on foot, you're on camel, whatever you are, it's going to take a while to traverse that much, right? I went to, went to Jerusalem and staying there three days, I sent out during the night, I'm sorry, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. That's another thing I'm not very good at. When I get something, I'm like, I want to tell everybody, guess what? This is what I'm thinking. That's, that's my, that's the way I am. Good, bad, I'm just saying that's how, like I want to share it. I want to share it with you. Guess what? I've got this great news. Nehemiah was pretty smart. He says, eh, I'm going to keep that a little close to the vest. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. Verse 13, by night I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem. I love the fact that Nehemiah went out for a period of examination. He is now where he's supposed to be. He didn't just start throwing lumber off to the, you know, loading it up and stacking up. He literally went to see what it actually was. You've got the location. You've got the permission. You've got the resources. You've got protection. You've faced the opposition. And now there's a time of inspection or examination. Let me encourage you, examine where you are. It's a good thing for us to examine our hearts, <laughs> especially in new seasons. Let's just see what's actually here. Before I think I know what's here, let's just actually take a look. Then I moved on toward uh, the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for the mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night examining the wall. He's taking a process. He's going all the way around and talking about where he's putting his horse and all these things. And you're like, you're just still, he's just examining, examining, examining. So I went through the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Made it all the way around. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. When you're doing the work of the Lord, there are many people who won't know where you are or what you're doing. What are you doing? Buddy, you left a job where to do what? What are you doing 
I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know where you're going. That's pretty normal. It's pretty normal for the kingdom. Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Just coming up with a plan. Then I said to them, there's an appointed time where we will get to tell people what you're doing. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Can you imagine the passion that he said that with? Was heartbroken, prayed for about four months, talked to the king. Sometime after that, he left, traveled for another four, five, six months. So we're talking about a year later. And then he goes and inspects the wall. Now he's here and he's going, can you imagine just all of that passion that would come out in such a, you know, we, I love the movies, you know, the, the, the important speech, whenever that is in the movie, the rallying cry. They can take our land, but they can't take our freedom, right? I can imagine that this was one of those times when the man of God spoke so clearly and so powerfully that it, God, it moved hearts and empowered a, an entire group of people here. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And I love this little phrase. Um, uh, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Huh, they began a good work. Verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. Sounds pretty normal, huh? <laughs> what is this you are doing? You ever had somebody do something and you're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> I've done that to my kids before. What are you doing? I'm just dancing. <laughs> Any particular reason? Nope. Just happy. Oh, well, praise God. Good. What are you doing? You look like a madman. Why are you doing this? Yeah, what are you doing? I'm trying to do exactly what my king's telling me to do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work this plan out here. What is it that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Well, as a matter of fact, I'm doing the opposite. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. He didn't even address the, the question directly. What are you doing? Hey, look, don't, don't you worry about that. You who are bringing opposition against the very force of God on the earth, <laughs> my God will give me success. Don't you worry about that. Can you imagine the tone that they said it ridiculed us and uh, mocked us? We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Hey, by the way, you might ridicule us, but this is not even your concern. There's clarity, there's boldness that's there. Chapter 3. I'm not going to read through chapter 3, but it, it's basically this. You start seeing... Let's read just a couple of verses, and it repeats itself many times. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it, set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Haniel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. So it goes through different people and names which person had which gate. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the idea that they would start out and start with gates... They would start with gates first. <laughs> and then we'll build the wall. Right? We're going we're gonna to start out with the gates first. Huh. The gates first. And then they might build a wall. And then it says another person built another gate. And everything. And dedicated it to the Lord. And then maybe they built some of the wall as well. Keep your place there and turn to John chapter 10. 
think there's something important here. must have eaten my marker. Craziest thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't eat it at all. It's right there. Okay, John chapter 10, and starting in verse 1. It says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love that picture in the Bible. You don't have to drive the sheep. You literally, the shepherd speaks and the sheep know his voice. When he has brought out all of his own, verse 4, he goes out on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. (laughs) Those who don't understand the kingdom, those who aren't able to follow it, it's because they don't know his voice. They're not used to it. They will literally run the opposite direction. Jesus used this figure of speech, verse 6, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. So at first, he went with a more generalized perspective, right? So he's talking about the gates. We're going to make these gates in the city, and then we're going to build the wall, and then we're going to have another gate. Jesus is saying, this is me. You, You can't get into this thing unless you come through me. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the door. And we've, we've, we've learned enough around here to know that you would find shepherds who would get, they would find a rocky place and they would build it up, the little wall, and, the, and then the shepherd would lay right there. He would literally be the gate. He'd be the doorway. Nobody's getting in. Nobody's getting out. If you come in over another way, not by the gate, you're a thief and a robber. If we're going to try to do this, our own version of this, you're, you're literally stealing from the plan of God. Verse 7, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. I think he's trying to get a point across. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, if you're in context, this is the picture that you're thinking. I'm going to lay down my life right here for the sheep. He's using things that they had seen a thousand times before. And says, this is the picture of me. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. For us as ministers, for those of us who want to be ministers, you can tell a hired hand from a real shepherd. You know how? Hired hand is looking for the, looking for the back exit. When it gets hard, when somebody's really in, in a crucial time, they won't stay. They won't enter into somebody's life. They will literally turn around and walk away and have whatever the reasoning is behind it. When we left Austin, that was actually, this idea was the concept that I went to the pastor there and said, hey, I never want to be a hired hand. I feel like God is leading us somewhere. This is not anything against where we were. I feel like God is doing this because I don't want to be this guy. I want to be a good shepherd. I want to lay down my, I want to emulate the good shepherd, amen? Nehemiah, back to Nehemiah. Let's wrap it up. Let's start in in chapter 4. 
when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry (laughs) and was greatly incensed. I think I've shared this before, but you do realize that if people get extraordinarily upset about something, disproportionately upset about something that's going on, let me encourage you. It took me forever to figure this out. Let me share it with you freely so that it's easier for you than it was for me. Perhaps there's something more spiritual going on than what you comprehend. I had a person that I was, um, that was one of my direct reports in the past, and I tried everything that I could think of. This person was lazy, and I, it, it stressed me out as the leader that was responsible for them. I tried this, I tried that, I prayed, I thought about it, perhaps I can do this. I used all of my leadership techniques that I could think of. I micromanaged him. This is what I need to see. Here's your list of tasks for the week. You clearly cannot do this on your own. I will now give you a list. You will show up to me on Friday and show me what you've done. Well, so, and, and at the end of a week, you'd get nothing done. You know your job is in, 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 at play here. This was a person who called himself and had the title of a pastor. (laughs) This was not a school teacher. This was someone who said that he was called to the ministry, had the title given to him. Hey, brother, this is a disgrace. Try this. I was like, okay, then I'm going to have to go to a, a grown man, wife and kids. I'm giving him a daily task list. I'm like, Lord, this is wearing me out. Like, I, I, you've got to break through. Like, I, I am crying out to you. I don't understand. We had them over to the house. We were counseling with, or just trying to encourage them. And after about two weeks of that, three weeks of that, we, I, we saw it. God illuminated what it was. We saw the most disgraceful look on his wife's face that I'd ever seen. Beautiful woman, very sweet, and saw something wrong. And I went, oh, one, there's a marriage problem. I literally removed him from being in front of anyone. When the marriage problem came to the front, then we realized it was a drastic sin problem that was causing the marriage problem that was causing the laziness. Oh, well, Learned my lesson. I was, now I want to start with, is there something spiritual going on? Let's just start there. The fact that I saw a grown man daily task was the most ridiculous thing that I could think of. And I was doing it to try to like, hey, you, you're providing for your family here. I'm, I don't want to fire you if I can help it. Oh, this is much bigger than me firing you. Okay. When people respond and they get incredibly angry over something small, let me encourage you. It's either something spiritual like what Sanballat did. He was incensed that the people of God were building a wall. Incensed. When someone gets incensed at you, perhaps it's something spiritual afoot and you need to start there and work your way out versus trying to do, well, perhaps I offended him. Perhaps it's the spirit of God in you that is being completely offensive to them and God is about ready to bring some judgment on somebody. Let's start on the spiritual part first. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Remember how earlier we were talking about we want God to rewire how we see ourselves, these words that we allow? Don't allow somebody like Sanballat to speak into your life and hear their words in your head. You feeble Jew. Hmm. What are these feeble Jews doing? Same question again, right? What are you doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? The enemy would love to keep you from doing anything by stopping you before you ever get really started. (laughs) You're going to finish in a day, Brent? Seriously? You're going to have your family do this? You're going to finish in a day? Well, that's ridiculous. Nobody said it had to be finished in a day. That's not even the point. Or are they trying to just jab? <sighs> you can't do this. Huh. If we allow the enemy to speak into us like that, to speak to us like that, then we go, oh, yeah, you're right. I can't finish it in a day. 
That's stupid. Nobody's asking you to finish God's work in a day or a year or a decade. Like, don't allow these things to sidetrack us. Well, guess I can't accomplish what the Lord has. And maybe that's not your general perspective, but perhaps we should evaluate it in subcategories in our life. Perhaps we feel very strong about this area and this other area in our life. We've basically just given in to the, you're so stupid. You're right. We may be bold in one area and afraid in another. Perhaps we should do like Nehemiah and really check out what the wall is. Check out that hedge of protection around us. Can they bring back, (laughs) can they bring back, I'm sorry, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? (laughs) The city had been destroyed. Can they bring the stones back to life? What does the Lord call us? (laughs) We're living stones being rightly joined together for his kingdom. This sounds like it's just a common sense. Well, can you bring these? They were burnt. They were charred. Perhaps they were limestone. When limestone is burnt, you can't reuse them because it's too bleh. They're actually trying to get at the heart of who we are as Christians. These lies from the enemy always pierce more than what it seems like on the outside. What did, what did the enemy come and bring to Jesus? Um, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and then he was tempted. Basically, he was tempted with lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, right? Was the old, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. There's really only certain, he's going to try to get at what you're seeing. Is there a lustful spirit in you? He's going to try to get at just the natural flesh. He's going to try to get at your very character of who you are. There's not that many things that you're going to get. The enemy tries to come against you. It'll look a lot of different. It'll be covered with a lot of different stuff. I had, a, had a, one of my favorite professors I've ever had was a music teacher in college, and he really did this. He said, you know, there's really not that many things you can do in music. I was like, what? You can play louder or softer. You can play higher or lower. You can play shorter or longer. You can play whatever. There was four, there was four, that's really all that you can do when you're teaching music. Pick one of those four and make them do that. I was like, this guy's. He was able to take something that's very complex and literally put it in four categories. Can I encourage you that the enemy really only attacks us a couple of different ways? I'm not making a plug for this. We went and saw the movie Cinderella. Oh. Right? Somebody like, where? Right. I have to tell you. And I'm, this, I'm not encouraging you to see it. You make your own decisions. I actually like the movie. And you know why I liked it? I realized I was like, it, this is a great, this is a great story. <laughs> I'm like, I can see Jesus in it. It's awesome. You know, it's my silly self, right? I'm like, she's fighting to become who she really is. She is the daughter of people who loved her. She is something more than what she's being treated. She's despised, she's hated, she's ignored, she's abused, and she's more. It finally gets to where you see at the end she's rewarded because she's trying to show character the entire time. I love that. Isn't that, I mean, I love the movies that show how this guy is more, they let you know early on this guy's more than what he seems in a good way. He's really a king, but he's acting like a peasant. Oh, I love those stories. They, fight, they have to persevere and fight to be who they really are. Let me encourage you, don't give up the fight here. God has you and he's molding you and he's making you and people will despise you. People will rail against you. Circumstances will come against you. And you know what you got to do? You got to just keep going. There's no secret formula to this. Verse 6, so we, re- we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. Are they completed yet? No, it's just half of its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. Oh, all the people worked with all of their heart. 
Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the men of Eshad heard that the repairs to the Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that gaps were being closed. The gaps were being closed. The weak areas are being strengthened. The fault lines are no longer fault lines. The things that were called something about us are no longer those same things in our life. I am not who I was. I am not a captive to sin. I am not those things that were spoken over me. These gaps are being built up. It is no longer that. I may have been that, and I may even think myself still there, but I am not that. I am not that anymore. I am a transformed child of God operating in his power. I am not that. Verse 8, they all um, plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. (laughs) Bring it on. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We prayed to God and posted guard. We believe in the power of the supernatural and we're going to post a guard. We're going to pray and it's absolutely spirit-generated and we're going to have some practical things in our life to stand guard against the darkness. I'm going to encourage myself spiritually and I'm going to practically make it where I'm not going to fail. I'm going to remove the sin from my life. I'm going to pray and let the power of God change me and give me a better view of myself. And I'm going to make an effort to read my word every day. And I'm going to not make an effort. I'm going to read my word every day. I'm going to pray every day. Like, pray and post a guard. Almost done. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. A couple of verses, they were all working with all their heart. You know what happens when you work with all your heart? You get tired. If you haven't gotten tired in the kingdom, you probably haven't gone after him with all your heart yet. Don't look at the tiredness as a, oh, I lack. Don't let those voices keep saying the wrong thing. I'm tired. You know why? Because I'm worn out. It's a good kind of tired. There's a good kind of tired because I'm exhausting myself for the kingdom. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put it into their work, just like the enemy. You won't even know it. We're gonna, I'm going to, I'll take you down and you'll never know it. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Verse 13, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. Everybody say lowest point. At the exposed places. Everybody say exposed places. Look at this. Posting them by families. (laughs) All right, here's a low point. Here's a weakness. Here's an exposed place. Sutherland, that's your part. We're going to draw our sword. This is is the area that we're going to manage. You're not going to come in here. This will not be a place where I'm going to allow other people to get hurt because I'm going to stand guard right here with my family. He's, he's going to call the Vincents. He's going to say, Here's, this, is, this is a low place. You guys stand high above that low place. You, you guard that. This is your spot with your family. Draw your sword. Don't let the enemy in here. Be a watchman. Stand on guard. Eregenes, this is your spot. Browns, this is your spot. We have a spot with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let me encourage you in these last three things. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the boss. Don't be afraid of the bank. (laughs) your bank account. Don't be afraid of your history. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you're going to remember the Lord. You're going to remember that he is a good, good father. That's who he is. You know who you are? You're loved by the good, good father. He is the king of all creation and he stands with you. How dare we be afraid? 
How dare we give in to these things that we think of? How dare we do this? Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And what? And then fight. Fight. Well, I'm, I'm a pacifist. Well, you can't be a pacifist and be a Christian. There's a fight. You better have some fight in you. When I talked to Steve and Dee Dee today, they were in the midst and the depth of a battle. And you know what they decided to do? They decided to not be afraid. They decided to remember the Lord and they decided to fight. Their arms are tired from swinging. They were tired. They felt like they were in a fog. They called a brother and said, would you just pray for, I don't even know how to pray. I'm not going to be afraid that you're dealing with cancer. We serve a great God and I will fight for you. Me and my family, this may be a low spot for you, but this is my assignment. I will stand with you and I will fight. When you can't fight, I'll fight for you. God forbid that some ISIS person have more fight in them than I do in me. They're trying it in a natural way. I'm trying it in a spiritual way. How dare they have more passion than we? How dare that evil think that it can defeat us? They want to. I see new articles on Fox News. <laughs> They're trying to break down cities and all the old relics and artifacts, thousand years old. You know why? Because they want to erase every remembrance of Christianity. Not only all the people, not only do they want to crush Christianity, they want to eliminate any historical records that Christianity ever existed. That is their hope. Total annihilation. You know what? I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to remember the Lord. I'm going to fight. That's where we need to be as a church. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight. Not fight each other. <laughs> Don't do that. Fight the darkness. Remember what he's called you to do. We know the outcome of Nehemiah that in 52 days he rebuilt the wall. Approximately 140 years. And in 52 days, things changed. 52 days. Your life can change by tomorrow. I want, I want Pastor Matt to come on up here. We're going to close with a worship song. And here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to not be afraid. I want you to remember the Lord. And I want you to fight. Don't be weary in well-doing. Why? Because in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Some of us are not particularly afraid. We're not, we've remembered the Lord, but we're not. We've lost the idea of who we're fighting. I think that all three of these are going to be keys for us to do exactly what God's calling us to do. Y'all stand up with me.